Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hypergrowth Podcast. My name is Soham Moore. And I'm Nikhil Bose. We've built this podcast with the goal of talking to a variety of individuals who have created unique mental models in which they make sense of the world. Our goal is to unpack and share some of these insights. I have a high level of determination, focus, and drive to win at whatever it is that I'm doing. In today's episode, we talk with the man who's behind one of our favorite recent products, Jacob Jaber. Jaber is the CEO of Fields Coffee, a specialty coffee retailer that started out as a single corner shop in San Francisco and has now grown to over 45 locations, including Huntington Beach and Washington, D.C. Fields is a prime example of a third wave coffee company where emphasis is placed on the quality of the coffee bean and the customer experience behind it. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hi, Jacob. It's great to finally speak. Let's start the episode off with you giving us maybe a little brief intro about your background and your path towards how you got here. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, So my dad's Phil, and when he started Phil's, I was working with him behind the bar, and it was just one location, one store, him and I working together behind the bar, and it used to be a grocery store, so it took time to transition into a coffee shop. And I didn't really love school because I felt like I was forced to learn stuff I wasn't really interested in, and I wasn't really inspired by the teachers uh, that I had, Uh, not that they weren't good, I just... uh, didn't, didn't get the energy to and drive to to want to learn what they were teaching. So I learned on my own through reading books, helping my dad out in the business, uh, firsthand experiences. And just whenever I come, came across someone that I admired, I would connect with them and, and learn from them. And that was very helpful too. So after a few years of working really hard, my, my dad and I would, would just obsess about the customer experience. And over the years, we've earned a line, a line of customers who would come in. And slowly, we got busier and busier. And um, we were inspired by the reaction of our community and our customers because we were giving people a unique, different experience that bettered their day. It was it was personal. It was human-centered. And it was one of high-quality coffee that was personalized to their taste. It was really intimate and special. And we felt a lot more people around the world would enjoy this. So we uh, decided to pursue a path of, of growing fills and, and being in more communities. Whenever somebody walks into a Phil's, two immediate things stand out, the atmosphere and the individual care given to each cup of coffee. What was the thought process behind this? And how is the role of authenticity played in the creation of your shops? I think the philosophy is that the best cup of coffee, just like the best of anything in the world, is the one that comes to each person's individual taste. So the concept was developed around how do we execute on that philosophy? And that's how that's how we decided to do our coffee. And it's it's really like a bar. You walk up, you order with your barista, they help you decide. It's full service. There's no condiment stands. And when we're done with it, we hand you the cup to make sure it tastes perfect. So I think inherently 
the experience feels very authentic. We hire great people. We empower them to be themselves. We hire people who are service-oriented because a lot of great service comes from the heart, not just from training. So if we hire great people and we equip them and we motivate them and we support them, they feel more empowered and a sense of ownership over the experience, which um, just allows a customer and a team member to have a really good connection that doesn't feel scripted. So there's there's a bunch of work in between, but overarchingly, it's it's really about the people and the concept. One of the biggest things that stands out about Phil's Coffee is the level of attention they devote to personalizing each cup. From the moment you order, you are able to specify the level of sweetness, creaminess, and pretty much all other aspects of your cup. Phil's Coffee highlights one of the greatest trends that will define the companies which succeed in the 21st century, hyper-personalized products that are absolutely delightful for their consumers. If we think about companies over the previous decade, the primary goal for them was to reach levels of scale. And in doing so, you have companies that offered products which are focused on meeting the needs of the masses. Products that are applicable to everyone, but loved by no one. That's how we ended up with large multi-scale corporations, universities with over 50,000 students, corporate multinational healthcare organizations, and coffee chains like Starbucks. In today's day and age, however, someone can go out there and create a single product, let's say a coffee mug, which fits into a very niche market, right? But if the product is good enough, because of the fact that you can leverage modern technologies such as online marketplaces, Shopify, Etsy, and online business tools, Facebook marketing, or Stripe, smaller companies, assuming that they do have a superior product, now have the ability to potentially compete head-on with large businesses which have much greater types of product offerings. Phil's Coffee has no intention of becoming the next Starbucks, but rather is purely focused on creating a singular delightful product, their pour-over coffee. And they wholly understand that they may not be applicable to everyone. You don't see Phil selling traditional coffee drinks like lattes or cappuccinos, but the people they do sell to are absolutely in love with exactly what they're getting, and like Nikhil and I, will surely come back for more. From a consumer standpoint, most of us look at the Phyllis app as a way to get our favorite coffee quicker and more conveniently. But it's way, way more than that. What is your vision for the role technology plays in the Phyllis experience of quality coffee? I think technology is a tool to help us do things better. And that's very much the way we look at it. It's all about the customer experience. And we're trying to find ways to enhance the customer experience. And technology is a very powerful way to do that. And it's less about the Phil's mobile app, and it's more about meeting a customer's need state. Sometimes people don't have a lot of time, but they want their coffee or their fills. And sometimes you want an experience, and sometimes you want convenience. And for us, our mission is to better people's days. So we want to make sure we're doing that no matter your, your, uh, your need state. Uh, I think that coffee is a very powerful medium to connect with the same people every day. And each cup of fills represents more than the coffee. It represents a lifestyle, one of respect, kindness, love, warmth, feeling present and human and being part of a community. And I think that all of the things that we stand for um, are something we're very proud of that we wanna share. And 
the result of having uh, the result of experiencing fills after you understand it is you, you have a little bit of a better day. We hear it from our customers all the time. And I think that uh, it would be really cool if, you know, after being in a thousand communities, we will have made a meaningful impact one community, one cup at a time. What's really interesting to me is the way that Jacob Jaber talks about coffee. It resembles how many tech CEOs talk about their tech products. He follows many of the common principles behind what makes for a great product, such as being customer focused. Jeff Bezos, the CEO behind Amazon, perhaps the most successful tech company born in the 21st century, has scores of quotes talking about how the customer is at the heart of everything they do. In the same vein, Jaber approaches making coffee by focusing on the customer and providing an end-to-end experience, where every single bit of the customer experience from start to finish, is made to the specifications of the customer. If you've ever been to Phil's, you'll notice how whenever you get your cup, every barista always mentions, taste it and let me know if it's good. Phil's drinkers don't even have to add sugar or cream to their coffee once it's in their hands. They truly receive a complete product. Phil's is also very in tune with their customer base as well. Having over 30 blends of coffee beans and quirky names to go with them facilitates conversations, intrigue, and repeat purchases to try something new out. And finally, specifically for the food beverage industry, Phil's takes advantage of having a viral presence as it's crucial to gaining traction on a social media-driven world. We've all seen our Snapchats filled with rainbow bagels, 30 scoop ice cream cones, and pitcher-sized mimosas. Phil's has their own mint mojito drink to bless everyone's Instagrams. It's not every day we hear about a coffee chain going through the venture capital route. Phil's has received funding from prominent VCs such as Summit Partners and TCG Growth, both of which are predominantly tech-driven investors. What was the reasoning behind going down the venture capital path, and how did you know it was right for Phil's? And along those lines, how did you deal with the dichotomy between an investor's timeframes and retaining that one-cup-at-a-time mentality that you hold so dearly at Phil's? We wanted money to grow and great people to grow with. So no matter their focus on industry, we just wanted to partner with the right people. The value is not just in the money. It's in having good partners who can help you uh, on your journey to growing. So that was really the most important criteria for us and ensuring that we also have good resources that have relevant experience, which we were able to get. So I think that being in Silicon Valley afforded us the opportunity to talk with a lot of these types of investors. So as people knew us from a customer's perspective, you know, they became interested from a business perspective. So being born in Silicon Valley, I think is a good thing. Um, But I think no matter where you come from, if you have something good, you know, people will recognize it. Coffee is a big opportunity and there's, there's a huge gap between the number one and the number two and three and four. And if you think about it, it's really just Starbucks for the most part, particularly in, in, in America. And I think that Phil's offers something different and people love what we offer. And as we continue growing and converting the non-Phil's drinkers into Phil's drinkers and build loyalty, we will have the opportunity to really change the way people drink coffee. And I think that the result of our experience has been a strong foundation of good business economics that uh, we can continue growing. So, you know, the great experience is translated to a great business and you have to have that to kind of get investors. What personality traits have led to your success as the CEO you are today? 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in self-improvement. I'm really hard on myself and I like to be the best version of myself I can. And um, that has translated into a competitive predisposition, no matter what I'm working on. And it's not about with others. It's just about making sure that I'm consistently being, I'm consistently improving. So I have a high level of determination, focus, and drive to win at whatever it is I'm doing. And I just won't give up. And that's just kind of the mentality I have. So uh, whether it's it's a diet or a game or fills, I want to make sure I'm doing a great job. And uh, I think, you know, just the desire and hunger for being the best that I can, um, not compared to anybody else, but being the best that I can uh, is definitely um, a value more so than it is just, um, you know, a certain area that I'm, I'm approaching. I think that if I'm invested in something, I want to give my 110%. I've always, I, I always like to ask questions. I question, you know, why a lot. You can call it first principles thinking or just challenging the status quo. But I'm, I'm a big believer in understanding the why behind things. And I think uh, that goes professionally and personally. I carry that with me. And, you know, when it comes down to it, what's really important in this world is people define wealth by money. And I think wealth needs to be defined by relationships. And I think there's a, uh, uh, it's important to make sure we are training the future on what's important. And I don't know that uh, what people are seeing on social media necessarily uh, does that really well. But, you know, we, we, we need family, we need relationships, we need to socialize with one another. And knowing that has I guess gives me a lot of fuel to figure out how to make put fills in more communities. And we're not going to solve the problem single-handedly, but we can create a platform that uh, helps support these ideas. You know, it's funny. This is by far the greatest recurring theme we have seen on this podcast. Among all the thought leaders we have talked to, every single one of them is driven by the desire to constantly grow. A book that Nikhil and I are looking forward to reading is Kobe Bryant's next autobiography titled Mamba Mentality, How I Play, set to release by the end of this year. What Kobe defines as Mamba Mentality hits this point dead on. In his words, it's the infinite curiosity to want to be better, to figure things out. Mamba mentality is you're going, you're competing, you're not worried about the end result, you're not worried about what people may have to say, you're not worried about any of that, you're just focused on being in the moment. We want to end this episode off with one last question. If you had one key piece of advice for college students before they graduate, what would it be? Don't stress. I think it's it's harder for, for the next generation growing up because there's so much more to compare yourself to with social media and it's it's just it's just hard. And I think that everybody in this world has something unique to offer. You are the average of the five people you spend your time with. That's like I wanna underline that by five because that's really, really important. So if you're not uh, you know, Look, look around your look around the table next time you're with your friends and ask yourself if you uh, admire them and if you don't switch your friends <laughs> so those are those are that's that's some advice but don't stress you know everybody feels like everybody everybody wants to be a billionaire nowadays and like build this company and change the world and it's just you know don't 
you you change the world through small moments, not through big moments. Don't uh, don't don't wake up in the morning wanting. It's nice to like want to be the next Elon Musk. Like just just um, really try a lot of different things and choose the things that makes you happy. Remember, wealth is in relationships, not in money. Value relationships a lot. Spend time with people you love, and um, don't uh, don't overwork. I'm, I fear America is becoming uh, too much of a. There, there needs to be more. There needs to be more balance and emphasis on rejuvenation uh, through through um, um, a better day to day social life. Jacob here makes a vital point for every single person of youth to consider. He says the way our society is structured today in the United States devalues the power of relationships and interpersonal interactions. People here are essentially second fiddle to your job professional commitments, and your time to self-grow. And while I'm a big proponent of all three of the aforementioned, I can't help but agree with Jacob over here. I've lived in Europe, China, and the United States, and I've personally seen the stark differences between the cultures firsthand. While I can bring scores of anecdotes of the differences between American and other cultures, I think one of the strongest and simple examples is told by a simple walk down the street of Western Europe on a weekday. My family currently resides in the Netherlands, and if you take a stroll down Eindhoven Centrum, you will see many people engaging in their post-work activities, meeting with friends at local pubs, or spending time outside of the house with their family. It's an almost alarming difference to what people do after work over here in the United States, where on average, people come home to simply rest and prepare for the next day of work. Such a monotonous cycle can have adverse effects on both physical and mental health, and most importantly, happiness. The 2018 World Happiness Report ranked the Netherlands as number six in the world happiness rankings, following countries in Scandinavia and Western Europe, while the U.S. is languishing in 18th place. This is a sharp contrast to when we're comparing GDPs, as U.S. ranks number three overall and the Netherlands is number 28. This makes one think that as a country, we're lacking something simply more than wealth. Many people attribute these differences to our economic systems, relative country size, and lifestyle or social norms. But putting all these political, economic, and cultural differences aside, I believe the root difference between here in America and Western Europe is there a greater emphasis on family and community. Let's also be clear that this is a trade-off. American society has, in general, chosen in favor of having a stronger individual socioeconomic status rather than strong social communities. This has done wonders for our economic growth as a country, but could also potentially explain our stagnating and lagging happiness measures. Jaber here says that wealth should be measured in the strength of your personal relationships, which presents a powerful mental model for all of us to consider, perhaps one that can be even be used to recalculate value in our society. What if we propose a new measure where the robustness of our economy was measured as a sum of the strength and quality of the individual relationships we carry as citizens? Along with our annual measurements of GDP, we could perhaps also measure our economy through a GDR, Gross Domestic Relationship. We have a great economy, but we need to learn how to develop a great quality of life, and that's much bigger than the economic status. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation with the CEO of Phil's and his vision for what coffee stands for, the importance of authenticity, and what we're calling the relationship economy. If you guys like what you're hearing or have any suggestions and feedback, please reach out to us at soham at contrarycap.com or nikhil at contrarycap.com. As your comments will help us prepare for our next set of episodes. Cheers. Cheers.